0: So now I want to introduce to you Holly Ashman. Um, Holly has served with Campus Crusade for Christ for the last 13 years. Uh, She has served um, at UC Berkeley. She has served in East Asia. And currently she is serving as um, the National Director of Campus Field Strategies. She oversees teams in California, Arizona, and Hawaii. She does um, coaching for those who lead the teams, as well as for the teams themselves to stay on mission, which is to... Be able to present the gospel to every college student within their years of college. She is an amazing, um, an amazing woman who's been to 23 countries, um, fulfilling the Great Commission. So, um, so many different people groups she's worked with, and she's just, you know, led by the Spirit. So, will you welcome with me, Holly? <laughs> Thanks. Oh, what a day. I I just wanted to show you that video. One of my best friends made that grace-walking video, and it just makes me cry every time. And I just thought, well, you know, I've been crying all day, so I figured might as well come with my makeup already smeared, right? Be authentic before you ladies. We've learned so much from the three women that have already spoken to us. What more could I say? I just don't know. But um, I don't know about for you, but when I come to a conference, okay, we're not just at a women's retreat We're at a Women World Changers conference, and hopefully you didn't come just to hear women that want to change the world. Hopefully you're here because you want to be a woman that changes the world. And I believe that after a day like today, you either leave these doors and feel like, oh my, how in the world is this going to happen? How is the Lord going to use me? Or you're going to be really motivated to go out those doors and start activating in faith what God is putting on your heart to do. And so what I wanted to talk about today is just that there is just one requirement. Of everything you've heard, whether you have felt convicted, whether there's all these ideas that are in your head, maybe you're an idea person, you're like, I have so many ideas now. There's really only one requirement for us. And if we have um, this one requirement living out in our life, I truly believe every single one of us is going to change this world for Christ. If you want to continually seek the Lord if you want to continually walk out of the person God's made you to be, if you want to live a life that is not ordinary but is truly extraordinary, then the one requirement we need to do is learn how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit moment by moment. Maybe that is something that just sounds theological to you and you can't grasp it. But I am hoping that in our last time together, this becomes so real and so practical, and not a phantom in your mind, but that you are motivated to learn and live out how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me pray for us, and then we are going to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us. Jesus, thank you so much that when you came to this earth, when you left a perfect place to join this imperfect place, to die a brutal death for the wretched sinners that we are, And you rose from the dead, and you then went to heaven and are seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. You did not abandon us, but you gave us your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would see what an amazing, amazing gift that is, and that we would live life on this earth in light of understanding and experiencing what it means not just to have the Holy Spirit seal us for the day of salvation but be filling us moment by moment so that our lives not only are transformed, but can transform the lives around us. your name we pray. Amen. See, we can go home again, but we'll keep going. Um, Today I want to share with you about the vampire who changed my life. But before I share with you about this vampire who truly did change my life about 14 years ago, so this is way before Edward and Twilight and all these shows that the youngins are watching, This this was before I even knew vampires existed. But to give you a little of my journey before that, I was raised in a Christian home um, by loving parents. And, you know, I was one of those kids raised in a Baptist church that would sit in the back on a Sunday night and draw pictures to give to the pastor after service. And one day I was drawing a picture, and I was like, huh, I think I need a life verse. I don't know how many 8-year-olds think about needing a life verse, but I wanted one. And I was looking through my little Precious Moments Pink Bible, and I thought, I think I like the book of Acts. And I'm eight years old, so how about Acts 1-8? Well, I don't know if you know Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 is when this Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, I didn't know who the Holy Spirit... Yeah, okay, switch to the handheld, because I'm so loud. All right, so here I am. I'm eight years old. God gives me this verse, and I don't really get it. I'm eight years old, you know? I don't really know who the Holy Spirit is or or anything like that, but I knew I loved Jesus. When I was little, I knew Jesus loved me more than my parents. That was my understanding, and my parents loved me, so that, that was pretty profound, and then I remember... I don't know how many of you have vacation Bible school or went to vacation Bible school, but I wanted to invite all my friends to vacation Bible school. Like every kid in my class and their siblings all went to Bible school with me. We would take the yellow school bus, pick them up, take them to Bible school. So maybe God was making me a little missionary, you know, at a young age. But I still didn't understand the Holy Spirit. I go to high school. I start the Christian organization at my high school. I go to college, and I, I find out about Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ. And it was the first time I saw peers like me. It wasn't just a youth group. But these, these college students were living extraordinary lives. They were going to the world, seeing whole tribes come to Christ. And I'm like, wow, like, you're bold. I want to get to know you. And so I started to get involved in that in college. And I honestly, I had forgotten about my 8-year-old experience and thought I was going to be a lawyer because I got good grades and I'd straight A's and just wanted to be a lawyer until I met Christy the Vampire. It was my junior year of college. I was in Ocean City, New Jersey, and there was a bunch of us worshipping out by the ocean. And this woman comes up to me. She was probably about 23 years old. I was probably about 20 at the time. And she was very gothic looking. She had dyed her hair black, had a Marilyn Manson black T-shirt on, black jeans, black fingernails. Before that was cool because now it's cool. And um, black lipstick. And I was like, okay, like I just don't, don't know how to relate to you. And um, she walks right up to me. I mean, there's all these people. She walks right up to me. And she goes, I'm a vampire. Are you afraid of me? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never met a vampire before, you know? Should I be, (laughs) you know? And um, so she goes, well, will you talk with one? I'm like, sure, sure. So I go over to the side. I'm like, this is so strange. I'm just trying to have a worship time with the Lord. This woman asked me to come talk to her. And she doesn't say anything. It was so awkward. So this was the moment, I was, I was on a mission trip, actually, and they were teaching us about the Holy Spirit. And they were saying that when you ask God to give you wisdom of what to say, um, that that is actually the role of the Holy Spirit. That's the part of the Godhead that you're asking for wisdom for. So I just said, okay, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you give me wisdom on knowing how to talk to and relate to a vampire. Like, I don't know how to do that. And... um. So I was like, okay, well, what do I say? Because she's not saying anything. So I was like, Holy Spirit, like, give me something to say, you know? And so I said, well, what makes you a vampire? You know, brilliant. You know, let's just learn about her. And honestly, anybody you meet, you know, here's, I'll tell you principles along the way, but anyone you meet, you don't have to relate to them, okay, right away. Ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to show you how to relate to anybody in this entire world, okay? If I can relate to a vampire, you can relate to anybody okay? Um, I just realized I'm wearing red. That was not intended for this vampire story. <laughs> anyway, so she, um, she says to me, this is, she has an answer for, for how she's a vampire. She goes, well, I have tried to kill myself three times. And she shows me her wrists. She, she shows me her arms. And she goes, but I've not been able to die. So I think that I'm immortal. I think I can't die. She goes, second I'm, I'm in a coven of vampires, and um, she goes, we kill animals. We think killing animals and drinking their blood is necessary. Yeah, I hope you're not, like, you know, someone that wants to save all the animals and then you talk to her, you know, you just got to forget that. And um, I was like, wow, how do I relate to this woman? Like, she's suicidal. She kills animals and drinks their blood. Like, how do you contextualize the gospel to that, you know? Well, so then I said again, Holy Spirit, what do I say? I don't know what to say. And so the next question was, what brings you significance in life? You can use that question too. What brings you significance in life? I didn't know if she would know how to answer that, but she did. And she said, you know, I have 30 women that I brought into being vampires with me. 30. And she goes, that had no friends, no family. They were on the street. And so now they're in a community, and they have family and friends. And I was like, wow, I like to influence women too. We have something in common. Women need community. They need love. They need to be fully known and fully loved. And right away she's like, yeah. And all of a sudden we had a connection. And I said to her, I said, Christy. Her name was Christy. I said, Christy, you know, I do think some of the things that you're participating in are partially true. Okay, that's the next thing you can do is look for the partial truths in what someone tells you. I said, Christy, there are three things that are partially true about what you've shared with me. And I think you just need to hear the whole story. I said, one, yes, we are all immortal. Maybe I think I will die. If I, if I try to kill myself, and you think you can't. But I do believe we're all immortal, that there is eternity waiting for us forever. And I want to know what is going to happen in that eternity. And I said, too, Christy, you are so right that sacrifice is necessary. Sacrifice is necessary. And blood, it's essential. I said, you got it. I said, but you don't have the whole story. And I said, you know what else you understand, Christy? We were all men and women, made for community, a place where we could be fully loved and fully known. You've got it. You just don't have the whole story. And she said, well, what's the whole story? And I thought, oh, boy, everything I've learned on how to share my faith is not going to work. Well, my little testimony of when I was saved at age three and wanted to be a missionary at age eight, that's not going to work with a vampire. You know, um, I don't know if I pull out my four spiritual laws that Campus Crusade uses and say, God has a wonderful plan for your life, maybe, you know, but she is not feeling like her life is so wonderful right there. So again, I ask the Holy Spirit, show me, how do I tell her the whole story? And you know, one thing, the Holy Spirit, he he will give you words to say, but I do think it helps that I have been walking with the Lord and being in the word of God since I was probably about 10 or 12 years old. So I do think for the Holy Spirit to just give you Scripture or give you some wisdom in some of these moments, you do need to know the Word of God because the Word of God is what changes lives. So it, it is because I'm learning the Word. But what was interesting is the verses that God gave me in that moment weren't the ones I had often memorized to share the gospel. All of a sudden, they were the goriest verses of Jesus' blood that I normally would not share with my friends, you know? And I was like, wow, this stuff is just coming out of my mouth. But I told her, I said, there is a final sacrifice, so animals do not need to be sacrificed anymore. Even in the Old Testament, animals were sacrificed. They just didn't drink the blood. I said, so, you know, what you're doing is not so strange, you know. And, but Jesus came, died. He was the final sacrifice for you and me so that not only we could have community with other people that believe in Jesus, but so that we could have perfect community with God the Father. I was like, oh, my goodness, I've never shared the gospel like this in my life. I'm just a junior in college, you know. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, now now it's like if I were to tell you I did this story yesterday, you'd be like, well, you're a missionary. You know, but I didn't know back then. That was the Holy Spirit. Well, she didn't pray right there. And I remember thinking, okay, this is such a peculiar situation. Really? You're not going to pray to receive Jesus right here? And she goes, no, but I need a ride home because it's 2 in the morning and the buses have stopped working. And I'm like, fine, I will give you a ride home. So I have a guy drive with us because nobody should go alone with a vampire in a car at 2 in the morning, right? I mean, why would I do that? <laughs> so anyway, um, he's driving. I'm in the, I'm in the passenger seat and she's in the back seat. And um, – All of a sudden, I mean, it's kind of quiet, and you start to hear this knock on the window. She's just knocking on the window. And I'm like, this is so freaky. So I actually asked her, I said, Christy, when's the last time you've done drugs? Just in case, you know. And she goes, oh, it's probably been about a month. And I was like, okay. I was like, why are you knocking on the window? She goes, I feel like something is knocking at my heart, but I don't know what it is. I told her, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. I will have community with him. And that's Jesus. <sighs> so then she goes, I feel like I'm hungry and thirsty for something, but I don't know what. Okay, <laughs> well, now I know the verses about how Jesus can, can quench our thirst and fulfill our hunger, but I didn't know that as a junior in college. So I, I was on the worship team, though. So I did know this worship song. Maybe you old schoolers know it. It, The words went, I want to thirst no more. I want to hunger no more. I want to know that Jesus is my Lord. So I told her the words, and she goes, well, will you sing it for me? And I'm like, nobody can sing at 2.30 in the morning, you know. Plus I'm an alto, so how am I going to do this? But um, I turn around, and I start to sing to her this praise song. And as soon as I was done, she goes, pull over on the side of the road right now in case we die. Before I get home, I need to accept Jesus into my life. And I'm like, it is an empty highway, but all right, we're going to pull over, you know. And I get in the back of the seat, and I'm like, really, you you now want to make the decision, you know, really? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, you get that you could die? Like, really? And she's like, yeah. So I that time I actually pulled out a track because I was like, I have no clue what I said to you an hour ago, so let's make sure I actually share the gospel with you. So I went through a track with her, and she goes, no, I just want to pray right now. I was like, okay, let's just pray. I was like, really? Like, did she really come to know Christ? So I was like, if this is a real decision, meet me tomorrow, and we're going to talk about how Jesus really transforms your life. So the next day, I honestly didn't think she was going to meet me. But there she was, starting to walk down the sidewalk while I was outside the house. Okay, same Marilyn Manson shirt, actually same black lipstick, but her eyes were sparkling. She was completely different. Yeah, there she is there. I mean, this was 98. and This is a long time ago. But, I mean, this is how do you not become a full-time missionary after this story, okay, right? Like, anyway, um, so she comes up to me, and she's at that distance where you probably shouldn't say hi yet, you know. And she goes, Holly, I want to learn how to share Jesus like you shared with me. And I'm thinking, first of all, I don't know what I shared with you yesterday. <laughs> Second of all, most Christians don't even want to know how to share their faith. And you are only a 10-hour-old Christian. Wow. That's a transformed life. Who cares about her lipstick or her clothes? And I said, all right, well, we're going to go out on the boardwalk and meet somebody, and that's how we're going to do it. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit leads us, because apparently that worked yesterday. (laughs) I'm not going to sit her down at a coffee shop and teach her how to go through a track, you know. So we go out there, and we meet this blonde 15-year-old surfer boy. Can you just see us? Me, little goody two-shoe, little vampire girl, and then little blonde surfer boy, you know? And he asked another great theological question. As a junior in college, could not answer. I now can. But he said, how do you know your life is different when you become a Christian? Because back then, I only knew how to share my testimony. And if I was saved at age three and wanted to be a missionary at age eight, like, you know, what what, what do you really share? About how your life was transformed. I didn't have this crazy transformational testimony. So I'm sitting there thinking, and Christy – interrupts me. And she says so eloquently, well, yesterday I was a vampire, but today I'm a born again Christian. And boy, do I see the difference. And the boy is like, what is he supposed to do with that? You know? So she just takes over and she shares the exact same gory presentation of the gospel I shared. And she goes, well, she goes, it's pretty easy, Mark. She goes, you know, we um, are immortal and sacrifice is necessary and blood is essential. And we were made for community. And apparently these are the four points of the gospel, you know, and she just started sharing it. She leads Mark to Jesus, and he prays with her, not with me. And she's a 12-hour-old Christian. This vampire changed my life, right? I go, two weeks later, I, I meet with her every week, every day for two weeks. Then I have to fly back to Arizona where I lived. I'm sitting at the airport wearing some Jesus shirt because that was cool back then. And this lady comes and sits by me. She wants to know a story about my summer. I tell her about Christy the vampire. She goes, hold on, let me go get my husband. She goes, pulls him aside, and he goes, what's Christy's last name? I said, Christy Denny. And he goes, you're not going to believe this, but her father goes to our church, and we've been praying for her for five years. And she has not wanted to ever go to church. She has not wanted to talk to a Christian. No one has even been able to go near her. Her mother, um, I don't remember if her mother had passed away or had abandoned them. She was only raised by her father. She was only child. And they said, wow, we are going to follow her up and disciple her now that we know that she's a believer. And I was like, are you joking me, Lord? Like, I have never, okay? And, you know, I was kind of even this little missionary girl even in elementary school. I have never seen someone go. From darkness to light, to leading someone else to the Lord, to seeing people that have been praying for for five years be a part of that, to then a church body saying, we're going to disciple her. And you know what happened? She started going and sharing with those 30 women that she had brought into this coven of vampires. She got to share the gospel with 12 of them before the head guy started to go after her life. And this church physically protected her from death, physically protected her. And I just thought, Lord— how could I do anything else with my life but serve you? How? I am single at 35. I've now been in 24 countries. But it's like, you know, and it's, but this story, it's not for the missionaries. Okay, I was just a college student back then, right? Okay, first of all. Second of all, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And the whole point of this is all I did was continually ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do next? Okay, the journey, the extraordinary life is because every time I share the gospel, it is always different. This gospel is so rich and so real and so powerful. And I'm going to all these other countries, and I am seeing how the gospel relates to so many different people. It is so addicting. It is so amazing. And you fall so much more in love with Jesus that it doesn't matter what our life is. It doesn't matter if I'm stuck here in this city. If I don't travel the world, that is not what makes my life extraordinary. What makes my life extraordinary is seeing the Holy Spirit speak through me in other people's lives. And that is not a spiritual gift. That is just the Holy Spirit when we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us in our lives. I truly believe that if we are believers, this is how we are supposed to live. That really walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that matters. If you walk in the Spirit... What will happen? Galatians 5, 21 through 23. You will have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, those nine things, to live out those nine things, do you think your life would be transformed? Do you think you would be transforming other people's lives? Yes, and that is the fruit of your life when you ask to be filled and empowered with the Spirit. What if Jesus only gave us that one requirement and not a million rules? If he only said, believe, um, uh, walk by the Spirit, and be dependent on me? What happens when we are dependent on the Holy Spirit and we say, take my life? Use my mouth, use my hands, use my feet, use my time, use my money. We're going to be bold, we're going to be full of faith, we're going to take risks, we're going to do the unthinkable. And it's not because of our personality or because of of anything about us, but it's because the God of the universe is in us, and he wants to use us to change the world around us. So what does it mean to live a life in the power of the Spirit? Well, let's look at Acts 1-8 again. It says, you will. It's a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What's interesting is a few verses earlier, okay, this, these are Jesus' last words to his disciples. So they're pretty stinking important. You know, these are the la- this is the last thing he says before he goes back to heaven. But a few verses before that, he tells his disciples, I mean, they are going to go fulfill the Great Commission, right? They're going to go to the world, these 12, 11, these 11. And, um... But he says, you cannot leave Jerusalem until what? You are given the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, you receive the Holy Spirit when you become a believer, okay? It's not like, oh, I need the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit that's in you, that's already in you if you have accepted Christ into your life, that sealed you, We need to ask him to empower us, that it is God in us and not ourself controlling our life. That's what that means. And he was saying, you need the Holy Spirit in you before you can do my mission, before you can go out. I mean, to go out, to do the mission that God has asked every single one of us to do, one, it is an impossible mission. And two, there will be persecution and opposition and spiritual warfare. But if we wait and we are filled with the Holy Spirit first, then we will have wisdom and boldness and faith, and the words will come to us, and the word of God will be powerful through us. And that is important. Acts 4.31 confirms this, and it says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they did not live in California, guys. It was not an earthquake. (laughs) And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay, there is a clear connection between speaking the word of God with boldness and being filled with the Spirit. I am just a coward without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm only five feet tall. That's why I'm trying not to be behind this thing. So you can see, I almost wanted to use the little step stool that these girls used. You know, without the Holy Spirit. Okay, like, was it two years ago, I think I had to fly to Yemen. And, like, you guys, I was shaking. I was so afraid. I was the only American on a 747. I was the one of three women on a 747. I wasn't veiled yet, which someone it would have been nice to know I should have been veiled even on the plane. You know, you get into this very oppressive Muslim country where women aren't valued, if Christians are definitely not valued, and Americans are hated. And you're like, okay, I could die just by putting my foot on your soil. You know, I mean... I am not brave in and of myself to do that. But if the Holy Spirit says to go do that, uh, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to trust you. Jesus did say when he gave us that great commission to, to go and make disciples of all nations, he said, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. And he is with us through the Holy Spirit. When we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is how we live a life of faith. It's not just that when we read these great missionary biographies or hear these stories, okay, the people that have risked things, it's not just that they are just extra adventurous or that they're just bolder or just have more courage. They are people that want to live a life of faith, and they ask the Spirit to give them that faith. And they risk, we risk, because we are asking the Spirit to guide us. It starts with just one little step. And as you get more confident that, oh, I obeyed the Holy Spirit. I heard him, you know, not audibly speak to me. I'm not expecting you to hear a voice. But I really think there's a prodding to go try that. And you actually do it, and you see fruit. And so then you try something a little more bold or a little more crazy or a little more that doesn't make sense. And that is when you just get on this amazing journey. And it actually becomes quite addictive, I think. I don't know. I love it. But... Um, it is amazing when we take little steps of faith. And so, kind of my desire for our ending time was to help you hear a few stories so you could think about what steps of faith might God be asking you to do. And remember, you know, if God were to tell me this is what he was going to do right now, I would be like, no way are you going to use me to do that, right? But if he just asked me to do this little step, then maybe I can do that, okay? And, the story that I want to share with you is something that happened this summer, um, and it was, to me, one of those stories that even if I've been in ministry, I just don't think I would have believed that God would have uh, used me in this way. I was in the Middle East in a place where there's a revolution happening, where there's a lot of unrest, and I actually got to um, interact and and share with one of the most prominent um, political science professors in the entire Middle East. Um, She is the top professor of political science for all the Middle East. And I don't like, like, talking to people that are, like, way older than me. Um, She's, like, really smarter than me. And I went there as a student. Like, I know I'm 35, but I tried to look 24 by wearing a Sesame Street T-shirt. So that's how I got into the class, you know. So it worked. And um, so I went over there this summer because we wanted to – Reach um, the most prominent um, students in the Middle East. We went to the most prominent university in the Middle East um, because we thought if we could reach these students with the gospel, they're going to go back to their countries and be influencers in the Middle East. So, this is the people group I want to reach. I mean, some people are going to go reach the poor, I'm going to go reach the smart people, and hopefully they'll change the world, right? So, that's kind of my calling. So, I go there, but I'm there to. reach students you know so we're in this political science class which is quite intriguing since there's a revolution happening in the country and one day our professor didn't show up in class (coughs) and um, we found out she was in a car accident and so the group of us that had gone over there prayed for her that night and the next day she was in class and she did look um, really tired um, like she'd probably been crying a lot Um, but she pushed through class and in the middle of class I felt that prodding and I'm going to tell you, th- as I tell you the story, I'm going to shou- tell you the proddings because I want you to really think about how do you start to learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I heard this prodding, I'm in class, of go up and talk to her after class and tell her you were praying for her. I was like, oh, I've not even talked to her at all. It's like the third week of class, I've never talked to her. I don't like doing that. And <clears throat> pr- I'm going to pray for her? Like, am I going to get kicked out of the country if I tell her I'm going to pray for her? And I remember hearing this like kind of calming thought of no, because Muslims pray too. And I was like, okay, we'll both pray. This is good. So I go up to her after class, and I said, Professor (coughs) June uh, is what I'll call her. I said, Professor June, um, I am so sorry to hear that you were in, in a car accident yesterday, and I just want you to know I will be praying for you. And instantly she opened up to me. I wasn't expecting that. And she said, oh, thank you so much. She goes, I was driving to the airport to drop my 7-year-old daughter off at the airport to to fly to America because her father lives in America. So here she's a divorced woman, now remarried. Her oldest daughter (coughs) is now flying to America for the summer because that's where her dad lives. And she had to say goodbye to her daughter. She was driving back, got in the car accident, and she goes, I had to go to the doctor. She goes, but the doctor said that my baby's okay. I said, your baby? And she goes, yeah, I'm pregnant. I go, you're pregnant? I didn't even know you were pregnant. And she goes, yeah. She goes, you can't tell? And I was like, no, I I didn't know. And she goes, well, please pray for me and my baby. And I said, well, I will certainly pray for you and your baby. And I said, by the way, you are such a good teacher. And she goes, really? You think I'm a good teacher? What's interesting is, because this university is so expensive, we couldn't take the classes for credit. We could only audit the classes. So she, I realized later she was actually surprised that I was encouraging her in her teaching because I wasn't trying to kiss up to her because I'm not getting a grade, right? And so she started to, like, trust me. And she said, really, you think I'm a good teacher? And I'm like, she is the most prominent professor of politics in the Middle East. She has written multiple books, and she, I could see this lack of self-esteem. And so I said, yes, I have thoroughly enjoyed your class. So I go home, and I pray for her. Well, every night at 3.30 in the morning – is the loud call to prayer from the mosques. It wakes me up every night. And normally I just roll over and go back to sleep. About 3.30 in the morning, that noise woke me up, and I knew I was supposed to pray for her. So I sat up, and I start praying for her and her baby. And then, again, I thought, I heard the Holy Spirit say, write her a letter. And I'm like, really? I am going to get so kicked out of this school, if not this country. You want me to write her a letter? What am I going to write in this letter? And he's like, get up, write the letter. So I go to the kitchen, and I start to write this letter at about 3.45 in the morning. And I, as I'm writing this letter, what came to me was the psalm that King David wrote, Psalm 139, about how God knew you before you were born, and all the days planned for you are written in his book of life, and that you were knitted together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I decided that's the poem. I'm supposed to give her this poem from Prophet David. David was a prophet to to the Muslims, and so I wrote her the whole entire psalm, and then I told her, I go, look, it even says here that his love for you far exceeds the grains of sand, and there's a lot of sand in this country. I was like, so that is really encouraging, you know, and I said, he knows what is going on with your baby. God knows what is going on with your baby, and so I wrote her the whole psalm. I explained the psalm in the letter, and then I said, maybe you are the reason I came to this country. And I was like, oh, my, am I really supposed to give this to her? So the next day I go to class, and I give her this long letter with um, Psalm 139 in it. And the next day I was really scared to come to class because I knew she had read it. And um, she comes up to me, gives me this huge hug, gives me a gift, and she says, I have never received such an encouraging letter from a student before in my life. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. You know, like, Now, I did not share the gospel in that. I was just trying to comfort her as she's afraid about her unborn child and um, connecting with her about just getting her into the word. That was the first step. But that day, I could tell that she wasn't wasn't feeling well. She wasn't walking straight. She was kind of hobbling. And near the end of class, she walked outside the door really quickly, and there was a window in the door. And as soon as I watched her walk out the door, she keeled over. And so I ran out to get her, and she looked up at me, and she put out her hand, and her hand was full of blood. And she goes, I'm losing my baby. I'm losing my baby. And she looked up at me with so much fear, and I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. So I start to try to walk her to the bathroom, and two other girls come out of the classroom and her personality switched in that moment because I think she didn't know them or trust them. And she actually cussed us out and said, get the F away. I'm going to the bathroom by myself. You girls get back to the classroom, including me. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to back off now, <laughs> you know. And um, and I wait for her to come out. And she had, I mean, her makeup was all tear-stained. And um, she said, okay, get back to class. We still have a few more presentations to do. And I'm like, really? Like, you need to be going to the doctor or the hospital or something and we're going to finish class, but that is the kind of professor she is. So we get to class. I don't remember practically anything that was shared, and I just prayed for her and prayed for her, and I was like, Lord, am I supposed to talk to her after class? If I am, like, make me a safe person. Like, show me how to share with her after class. And I just knew that's what I was supposed to do. So after class, she walks out, and she looks behind her, and she saw me following her. And so she hid behind a pillar. And I was like, oh, she's waiting for me. Oh my goodness. So I go up to her. As soon as I get behind the pillar, she falls down like a little kid and just starts crying. And she goes, I'm losing my baby. I'm losing my baby. And she just, it was like role reversal. And in that moment, again, I thought I heard something that didn't make sense to me in my mind. Call her by her first name. Now, if you know anything about a woman in the Middle East, especially if they've gotten such high credencil- credentials of being a professor, you honor that, and you call her professor. You do not call her by her first name. And so I thought this could be a very disrespectful thing for me to do. I understand this. But that, it, it didn't even make sense to me in my cultural training to do that. But that is what I heard to do. So in that moment, I touched her, and I said, June, it's going to be okay. I'm right here. And as as soon as I said that, she got a little calmer. And she goes, you can't leave me. You can't leave me. My husband doesn't even know I'm pregnant. I can't go through this alone. You've got to come home with me. I can't do this alone. I can't go to the hospital. I need to go home. Will you come home with me? Well, we were in such a dangerous country, we were never allowed to go anywhere alone. I always had, not just with another woman, I had to always have a man with me because it was not safe to be in this country alone. And I had to make... Decision and I was like, well, I will walk you to your car. That I can do, and that was what I thought I was. That's what I thought I was gonna do. I was gonna walk her to her car because she's in such pain. But as I started walking with her, I remembered something that our final presentation in class. This girl was talking about women that have become successful in the Middle East, and she goes, "There's three things that these women have in common. They've persevered, they've persevered, per- they're persecuted, and I forget the third one. Sorry." But persecuted and persevered were two of them. And it came to me while I was walking with her, and I said, June, that's you, huh? You've been persecuted and you've had to persevere through a lot to become a professor at this university. And she looked at me and she goes, I have no friends. I got the president of this university fired five years ago, so no one wants to talk to me. They all fear me. I have nobody to talk to in my entire life, I have zero friends. And she goes, You're the first person that has even ever showed care to me in years since my husband. And at that moment, we were in front of her car, which, of course, had a chauffeur because they're rich enough. She's rich enough. And she goes, get in the car. We're in the car. Get in the car. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to go anywhere alone. But it was just I knew this conversation was going somewhere, and I was supposed to get in the car with her. And I thought, I am crazy. I'm getting in this car. So I get in the car. We start to drive, and it's an hour to her house. I don't even know where I'm going. I I don't even know where her house is. Um, and we start to talk about God and his love for her. And she goes, Why are you so good to me? She goes, How how could you? She thought I was 24. I was like, No, back then I was 34. And she's like, Wow, I'm 44. She goes, You're not that much younger than me. I was like, Yeah. So we could relate. And um, and so I started talking to her about how I believe God has made us uh, uh to be fully known and fully loved. And it just sounds like she's had such a guarded, painful, hurtful life. And she's gone through so much. And I just can't imagine not having a a secure relationship like I have with God um, in my life. And all of a sudden, she looked at me. And she switched again. And she goes, get out of my car right now. And I was like, I think I risked a little too much, you know. And I looked outside, and it's just men with turbans. There's no women on the street this time of the day. And all I know is I better not leave this car. So I kind of put on my little holly authoritative voice (laughs) that Debbie knows. (laughs) And I was like, June, I'm not going to get out of this car. We're going to take you to your house because we need to make sure that you're okay. But after I take you to your house, then I can graciously leave. That's fine. Um, But I was like, you're not dropping me off on the streets. And she looks at me and she goes, no, you do not understand. She goes, I'm freaking out here. And I go, what are you freaking out about? And she goes, I, I think I fancy you. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she goes, I don't know. What is going on? But she goes, I all of a sudden am feeling for you different than I felt for anybody else ever in my life, man or woman, I don't know, but I fancy you right now. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what did I do? And then me, being a touchy person, it's like, it's okay. She goes, don't touch me. And I was like, Oh my goodness! Well, now I want out of the car, you know. But um, <laughs> I was like, "May," you know. As Debbie said, I can explain anything. So I was like, "May." I was like, "Okay, you do not. You're not attracted to me. You're attracted to God in me." And I was like. This is what's called emotional intimacy, right? And I was like, w- women connect by being emotionally intimate. And, that's a, and, and so what's happened is you have not had anyone to share your life with. You're going through a miscarriage right now and have not even told your husband you're pregnant. I go, so the bond we just created in the last three days, is closer than any friendship or any relationship you might have even had with your first husband, let alone your second. I said, so that you are attracted to God and me, and, and I believe God is pursuing you. And she says, okay, well, I guess you can come to my house. So I go to her house, and she is just t- still going through it. She's still bleeding. She's laying um, on in the fetal position on her little 7-year-old daughter's bed. And she goes, would you come and sit by me? And I'm thinking, uh-uh, I am not sitting by you on a bed. And But again, I heard the Holy Spirit say, go pray for her. And I was like, I am not, like, a touchy person with girls either. So I was like, I'm going to go sit by this vulnerable woman on a bed. Okay, but I'm going to pray for her. So I put my arm around her, and I said, I don't even ask her. I just say, June, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, what am I going to pray, Holy Spirit? And it was Psalm 139. It seemed to be the theme chapter for her life or something. And I just, like, God loves you, and God knows you. And she starts crying and says, God cannot love me. God cannot know me. I am such a bad person. There's no way. I said, no, there is a way. No matter how much sin you have committed in the past, there is a way. And we started to, to, um, the phone rang. So I wasn't able to share the gospel. And it was her husband. And she goes, You talk to him. And I'm like, You want me to talk to your Muslim husband on the phone? And he's in Arabic, you know? Like, and like, so again, very uncomfortably, talk to him. He's like, Thank you so much for coming home with my wife. I don't know why she's so sick, but thank you for caring for her. I can't be there. Can you stay with her till I get home? Okay. In the last three hours of that time, that was the first moment I actually felt like, I think I'm safe. I think I'm okay. I'm actually at a house. I'm fine. But this whole thing, I was just like, Holy Spirit, what am I doing? Holy Spirit, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And I just kept going. Well, he calls again, and he says, I'm at a dinner, and I need you to come. Um, and I told my professor, I was like, you are too sick. You need to take care of yourself. If you're not going to go to the hospital, you need to at least stay in bed. And she's like, no, if my husband says I have to go to this party, I have to go to this party, so you have to come with me. And I'm like, okay, it is different me coming to your house than me going to some party with a bunch of Muslim men, and I'm all by myself as a little American girl, you know. And I'm wearing a Sesame Street T-shirt, you know. <laughs> like, how am I going to go to some party? And she goes, don't worry, I have clothes for you. So she pulls out this, like, slinky blue dress that I would never wear as a Christian. And, um, and let alone in a, in a Muslim country, I'm wearing, like, jeans and, like, long sleeve shirts. Like, I'm not wearing anything that shows any skin. And we get into the car. I don't know where I'm going. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And she goes, so just thought you'd want to know, we're going to the 10th richest guy's house in this country. Like, he's a billionaire. He owns all the car industry in this whole country. Any car that comes into this country, he owns well great you know I, I wish I was at least a networker and like to meet really rich people you know I can't even raise support from him you know because he's Muslim I'm like ugh. so how unfortunate so I go to this house and I'm like where's the party you know I was picturing my poor sick professor and me sitting on a couch her drinking some kind of wine and me just being there with her while I'm watching a party happen you know uh-uh. it was Mr. Billionaire Mrs. Billionaire my professor, her husband, who's his partner, and two other men, Frenchmen, from um, they're the CEOs of Citron Cars, and they're trying to make a deal with this guy. And I'm like, the CEO of Citron Cars from France, and his partner, and so there's seven of us at this dinner party, and here's just this, this little holly missionary, you know, that was wearing a Sesame Street T-shirt to school today, you know, and now I'm at a billionaire's house tonight, you know, this is like all I did was said I was going to pray for my professor, right? And I was going to go talk to her after class. That was my first really scary step. All night, she kept coming up to me. I mean, she kept going to the bathroom because she was still miscarrying. I lost the baby that night. And she just came up to me, hugged me, saying, I love you, I love you. I could not have survived this night without you. Would you please come back to my house because we didn't get to finish talking before you leave the country. I was going to leave the country in three days. So the day before I leave the country... I, I was actually nervous, honestly, to go back to her house because I thought, I still think she likes me. And I am, like, a little nervous about that. And so I talked to the guy that I was leading this trip with, and he said, Holly, it could be awkward. You might get yourself in an awkward situation. But you also might be able to share the gospel with her. So what do you think? I mean, go and let it be awkward or stay home and be safe, and you might not share the gospel. I'm like, all right, I will go p- persevere through awkwardness. So I go to her house. She's making a meal. And she says, so I hear you're writing a book. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I only got the idea to write a book this summer while I was in this country. So it's not like I was writing it yet. It was just an idea in my head. And I was like, well, it's called The Vampire Who Changed My Life. And she goes, really? I love horror stories. Can you tell it to me? And I'm like, really, Lord? I'm going to share with her the vampire story? Okay. So, here I am in a Middle Eastern country talking to a prominent professor, and I share the vampire story, and get to share the entire gory presentation of the gospel again with a Muslim. Who knew? You know? You could save little blonde surfer boys with it, and apparently, you can influence the Middle East, you know? So, she hears this whole story, which I don't need to tell you, because you just heard it. And um, at the end, she looks at me, she goes, this were her words, I've never heard of such a transformed life as that vampire. And I said, that's right. And she goes, and Holly, and she, you know, she thinks I'm just a student. She goes, Holly, I believe you're going to make a difference in this world. God has some big plan for you. And, and you know what? The Holy Spirit gave me another word for her in that moment. And I'd never thought about this, about what God's called me to do, because my identity is not a missionary. My identity is not with Campus Crusade. I'm just a follower of Jesus trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? And I told her, I said, I said uh, June, God what I believe God's done for me is he enables people that have trust issues, like Christy the vampire or like you, to come and trust me so that I could share Jesus with them so that they can trust him and then be healed and be able to trust others. That's, that's God's mission in my life. For some reason, I get the really different people, you know. And But I told her, I was like, that can be true for you too. And I said, I truly believe the reason I was supposed to come to this country this summer was to share with you about Jesus. And she goes, I think you're right. Well, part of me, because I was a marriage and family therapy major, which I really can't do anything about since I'm single. I don't have a marriage or family. But um, I do understand grief counseling, and I, I understand that she did not want to talk about the fact she had lost the child, and she actually had already had two other miscarriages. So this was her third miscarriage. She does have one daughter. And um, so the Lord um, had also put on my mind, give her something to help her acknowledge, um, to walk through this grief process. And so you can't see because it's too small, but I'm, I'm wearing a ring that has four diamonds on it. And I found, if they're not real, but uh, four, uh, I, I found four that had rubies. And I bought one for her and one for me. And I gave it to her that night. And I said, um, June, this is to remind you that you are a mom of four you are not a mom of one. And God has three of your babies with him in heaven, and he is taking perfect care of them. They are fearfully and wonderfully made and in his hands. And God has given you one seven-year-old precious daughter that he has given you. And I'm praying that one day all of us will be with God together in heaven. And I gave her a Bible in Arabic, and I said, One question she asked me, she goes, how do you know the difference between Jews? Her first husband was Jewish. Jews, Muslims, and Christians. And I said, it's all about their view of Jesus. And I said, and I explained to her the difference. And then I said, but what matters is who Jesus said he was. So you read this, because this is who Jesus said he was. It doesn't matter what I say as a Christian or your ex-husband as a Jew or your current husband as a Muslim. And she said, I will read it. She wrote me about a month when I got back. And said, Holly, I wear the ring every day. Your picture's on my wall. We're going to come visit you. They have enough money. We're going to go to Disneyland. And um, <laughs> and I just think, you know, she has not yet put her faith in Christ. I didn't want to tell you all success stories because the point is not success stories. We are not the ones that convert people, all right? It says go and make disciples. It does not say go and make converts. Also, it is the Holy Spirit that changes lives, not us. And... All I know is I was faithful, and I truly believe her life will be changed, you know. And so hopefully in hearing that, please don't be like, okay, that was a crazy story. Yes. But I want you to hear, it was one little step of faith at a time. Please take one little step of faith at a time. Please. Your ordinary life will be extraordinary. Please. I think we will all leave here extremely changed. So my question for you is what adventure might be waiting for you just by asking the Spirit to empower you? All you need to do is practice each day giving each thing to the Lord. I pray through my day. Who am I going to see? What do I need to do? Where am I going to go? I surrender that to the Lord, and I say, use me, change me, help me be flexible. I'm a very structured person, okay? I'm very responsible. I'm very planned, everything's written word for word, and last night, well, all week, I felt unsettled about this talk, and yesterday at 3.30, I felt like God had me change my whole message, and that is not my personality, but I thought, well, I guess if I'm going to talk, I'm walking in the power of the Spirit. I better walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so hopefully, this is what you were supposed to hear, because I changed it yesterday. I want you to remember that it's, it's not how long you've been a believer. Some of you here have been a believer a long time. Some of you are relatively new believers. The Holy Spirit was given to all new believers. It doesn't matter. You don't get this when you're spiritually mature, okay? You get the Holy Spirit as soon as you become a believer. And it's not about how long you've been a believer. It's how you live your life after you become one, right? How do you live your life? And so um, if you want to be empowered consistently by the Holy Spirit, there's a final verse that, to me, this is the verse that helps us know how to be filled with the Spirit. It's Luke eleven thirteen. 13. And it says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All we have to do is ask. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, show me how you want to use me in the lives of people around me. So I'm going to invite Aaron to come up and just play a, a little for us. But I wanted to end our time with kind of a pledge between us and the Lord, because really this conference is not about the four speakers. This conference is about encouraging you to be a woman world changer, and really that's surrender. Really that's listening to the Lord. What is he putting on your heart, the passion, the, the thing that he put on your heart to be passionate about, and then to go and take those little steps of faith? That is the culmination of what we're talking about here today. And so at the edge of your seats, um, for those of you in the aisles, and then on the outside of this aisle, um, are pledge cards. I don't know if you've ever signed a pledge before, but pretty much it's it's making a decision or a commitment with the Lord to say you want to have a focus in your life changed. And I believe this is really what it means to be a follower of Jesus, And so I wanted to read it to you, and it'll be up on the board, too, up on the screen. But to really pray and consider if this is what you want your life to be about. Because if these things are what your life is about, you are going to live an extraordinary life and see lives around you changed. And it says, Lord Jesus, I surrender to follow you in the power of your spirit. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say. And I will give what you want me to give.